All right, so it's great to see everybody, even the ones we're spying on. Um, just kidding about that. Um, in the first week, well, let's back up. What is the purpose of the Tanya? As we've said, it's going to teach us how to serve God through the internal workings of ourself. In other words, as opposed to just saying, we're going to serve God through the actions, you know, here are the things you should do, here are the things you shouldn't do, go ahead and do it. Discipline. We work through our emotions. And as we'll learn, the key to emotions is through your mind. But in order to really get there, um, we had to, in order to get to this stage, we have to first discuss what goes on inside of us. And then we'll get to the practicals. But as I've said always, throughout the journey, we will have practical elements. Let me uh, spotlight. Okay, hello, good to see you, good to see you. Um, so throughout the journey, we are going to have to learn what goes on inside of us. And nothing is more important than where we're going to start today. So in week number one, we discussed that we have two souls. And in soul number, in week, in, in sorry, chapter number one, not week number one, because it's been a couple of weeks. Yeah. Chapter number one, right? Um, in chapter number one. Yep, in chapter number one. Um, in chapter number one, we discussed the, the godly and the animal soul, but mostly the animal soul. Chapter number two, we discussed the godly soul. We discussed how we all have it, where it comes from, why there are differences between people. And finally, uh, today we're going to discuss what a soul has. So in other words, a soul has as we will discuss, what is a soul made up of? Okay, so obviously it's a godly soul. Okay, now what? How does it operate? So it's going to have a whole slew of uh, powers, as we're going to call it, the 10 powers of the soul. And that's what we're going to be delving into today. If you want, you can grab a chair from right over there. We've got the outdoor version today of today's class. Okay. So we're going to start with this. Um, I'm sure many of you, sorry for all, you know, there was a big party here two days ago, so still getting put together. My kids are sick, so that's why we're outside. Uh, that's why they're all home. And they're not feeling well. And they're not feeling well, yeah. You have to join the class. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can hear that. You can hear them from here, right? Yeah. So I'm sure this has happened to you. A child is born and everybody looks at the baby right away and they're like, oh, who does he look like? Right. And um, are people having trouble staying on the Zoom? Because, uh, okay. No? Okay. Second one has dropped off. Okay. Uh, let me see. Uh, okay. I'm not sure. Thank you. Yeah, I am. I am. I'm hoping. It wouldn't be you. It would, if, they, if they're on their phone and they get a phone call, they get dropped. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that can happen. Okay. Anyways. Um baby is born. Everybody looks at the baby. This happens all the time. They look at the kid and they're like, who does he look like? Right? Oh, I think he has the nose of the grandmother, the ear of the, the uncle, and the feet of the aunt. Right? It's usually how it goes. Right. Um, how about us? Who do we look like? Human beings in general. Mm. Anybody knows the answer, right? 
right? So every child, we look at the child and we say, does he look like, you know, grandma, grandpa? Who do we all look like as a whole? Uh, more specifically, our ancestors. Who is our ancestors? Well, for that, well, well, I should say after that. That's right. right? We're, we're, we are all from Adam and Eve, right? Yeah. And Adam and Eve, what does the Torah say about them? They were created in in God's likeness. They were created in the form of God. And so by extension, we are created in the form of God. Did you ever wonder what that means? What does it mean to you that we're created in the form of God? I'm pretty sure we don't look like God. Right. Why? So why? Why 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 don't we look like God? I don't know. I imagine that's a little taller than me. I thought I thought he, I thought he's the big guy in the sky, right? So we can't look too far off. No, seriously, why, why can't we, when we say we were created in the likeness of God or the image of God, why can't we say, what's the problem? We don't say we look like God. We're, we're created in the image, image of God. So what, what does that mean? Image, yeah. <laughs> are we at all, are you, are you, are we at all God-like? And if yes, in what way? Well, we <laughs> um, so you're saying it's referring to the soul. The soul is God-like, okay. Okay, so you're saying our soul is godlike. Yes. How? Because it is a piece of God. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, you can say that about everything, but yes, specifically. Okay, Beth, what do you, what do you say? Uh, the goodness of God. We have the goodness of God. Okay, good. We perceive them. We have the ability to perceive. Yeah, but you can perceive things that you don't look like. Yeah, but a cow does not perceive God. <laughs> Yes, but that's not related to their how they look. I can perceive a cow, but I don't look like a cow. I, I don't know. We don't look like right. I, I don't know if we look. We're just created in his image. Right. So the question is when we say we're created in the image of God, right? Everybody reads in Genesis, right? God created man in his image. In the image of God, God created him. And similarly, another verse, let us make man in our image. So what does that mean? You're saying the soul. The soul is the image of God by virtue of it being a piece of God. We have a spark of God within us. Um, so the answer is yes. We have a soul of God within us. And if our soul is a piece of God, that means that it will mirror God. And so if we study God a little bit, then we can study a little bit about our soul. And so that's what we're going to do. Okay. Um, now, so what does it mean? How are we going to study God? Like, you know, how tall God is, you know, as we were saying, you know, what color are his eyes? God obviously does not have a body. God does not have a form. If he had a form or a body, he would be automatically limited, right? Because anything that has a body or a form is limited. By virtue of what well, you start here, you end there, that means you're limited, right? So God obviously doesn't have a form, doesn't have a body. Um, the Kabbalah explains that the form of God means that the build of our soul, our godly soul, and we'll also learn our animal soul as well, and we'll learn why our animal soul, is in the same build as the spherot. If you don't know what spherot are, don't worry, I'll explain to you in a moment. Okay, so again, our soul's build is similar to the build of the spherot, the supernal spherot, the godly spherot. And by virtue of our soul containing things that are similar to the spherot, we are called created in the image of God.
So what are spherot? Let's start with the translation of the word spherot. Spherot means to shine. It's one of the meaning of the word spherot. Shine. S-H-I-N-E. Shine. God, whenever he gives to the world, is called the shining. He shines his light upon us, right? We say that, you know, may, he, may his countenance shine upon you. Why the obsession with the word shine and light whenever we talk about God? There's a lot of explanations why specifically that metaphor is used. Um, but simply it means revelation, giving. So it's light, shining. Um, God is hidden to us, okay? And by virtue of God shining his light, um, we can connect with him. He he gives us of himself. He reveals himself to us. And God has 10 manners of revelation in this world. So for example, uh, I may be a closed book to you. Okay, you, you we may have never met before, right? You may not know much about me. Um, however, if I come to you and I um, hit you over the head, you think, well, this is an angry type of person. I have revealed myself to you in an angry way. Or if I come over to you randomly and I give you a $2 bill, you're like, be wow, this is a very kind person. Okay? Now, even though any of those references may not be true, maybe I hit you over the head because I thought you were a robber that stole my, my wallet. Or maybe I gave you $2 because I, I confused you with my cousin. Okay? But nevertheless, we relate to that person by how they've revealed themselves to us. Okay, so similarly, God has 10 ways in which he reveals himself to the world. Is he limited by those 10? No, but he has chosen 10 different ways to reveal of himself to the world. They are called the 10 spherot, 10 emanations or 10 shinings. Okay, so again, God himself is obviously hidden. God can reveal himself to the world in unlimited ways. However, God has chosen to limit himself to reveal himself to us in 10 different ways. And those are called the, the 10 spherot. So far, so good? Mm -hmm. All right. Now, um, let me take a look in that. Uh, okay. So those are called the 10 spherot. Corresponding, well, actually, and then let me, before I move on to how that uh, uh, deals with us, of these 10 spherot, these 10 manners in which God connects and shines himself to the world, we can split it up into two categories. There's the first three, and there are the last seven. The first three are generally made up of wisdom and knowledge. They are called the three mothers. Okay, we'll, we'll read that in the Tanya itself in a moment. And the, then there are seven, which are called the seven doubles. Okay. So the three mothers are, so to speak, intellectual, just as intellect, our mind gives birth to our emotions. If you don't know about chocolate cake, you will not desire a chocolate cake, right? Right. You have to have a point of reference, right? Sometimes I ask someone, they were, you know, they were coming from a foreign country. I say, you know, what's the best food you have there? So they told me the name of a food. I, I still don't desire it because I have no idea what that food is. Please start describing to me, comparing to me to other objects that I know, I, I'm not drawn towards it, right? There's no emotion without the intellect. Intellect is the mother of emotion, okay? So that's why intellect is called the mothers. And then the 
attributes, as we'll see, will be called doubles, but you don't have to worry about that. Um, so let me first show you an example of uh, the three levels of intellect. So if you pray the Amida every single day, which hopefully you do, but even if you don't, that's okay. I'm going to show you a text over here. We're going to upload it. Um, and I'm going to pass it around. It's in the, um, it's, it'll be here in the second paragraph. Um, well, it's in the fourth, it's in the fourth blessing of the Amida, not first paragraph, second paragraph, where it says you graciously bestowed upon, bestow knowledge upon man and teach mortals understanding. Graciously bestow upon us. Okay. Then it says graciously bestow upon us of your wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. So that's the part in the second paragraph here. Let me show you in the uh, let me show you online, which shows us the differentiation of the three levels of knowledge. So let's uh, let's share over here on Zoom. Show you from the prayer book that we say three times a day. This is in the uh, prayers that we say every day. Let me uh, rotate. I'll rotate left. Okay. So this is one of our prayers where we ask God for wisdom. When we say this, you graciously bestow, bestow knowledge upon man and teach mortals understanding. Then it says like this, graciously bestow upon us from your wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. So again, we're saying bestow upon us, upon us from your referring to God. And what we differentiate within God, we say God's wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. So now we understand that in intellect, God has these three levels of intellect. You know, Judaism is not just a thesaurus and into saying synonyms, okay? We say God has wisdom, understanding, and knowledge, okay? So the first three sefirot of God are going to be wisdom, understanding, and knowledge, okay? So that is an example of where we see of uh, the three levels. What are wisdom, knowledge, and understanding? In Hebrew, they are actually called chokhmah, Bina and dat, chokma wisdom, bina understanding, dot knowledge. What's the differentiation between them? We will discover as we study the Tanya. I also want to point out that the name Chabad, as you may know, is an acronym for chokma bina dot wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. So the name Chabad comes from these three intellectual powers. Why? As you may be getting an idea from the Tanya, the whole Tanya is about broadening your knowledge to affect your emotions, which ultimately affect your actions. So Chochmah, Bina, and Dat. Okay, now let's talk about, so we have three, but there's still seven more. The last seven are the powers of emotion, at least within us. Um, or what, what, what we call by God possibly attributes. I know there's 13 attributes of mercy, but generally God has if you want to say 13 attributes, attributes are kind of the way you deal with other people. My example earlier, you know, hitting you over the head or or uh, giving you a $2 bill, they're attributes. And um, where do we get seven from? We have it uh, every single morning where we pray a prayer from King David. King David, before he passed away, he gave a blessing to the people. And every morning we say this prayer. Oh, I should pass this around as well. Every morning we say a prayer where God, uh, sorry, where King David is blessing God. And in this prayer, you may have never noticed it, but he mentions seven attributes of God. Let me see if I can uh, pull it up on the screen. Uh, here it is. Okay, let me share. New share. Let's share. 
Okay, right in here. I'm going to pass this as well around over here if you're in person. It's on page 35 of the Siddur, in the, in the uh, Abad Siddur, the prayer of King David. So it's not to be here, and King David blessed. Okay, I'm going to read it. David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly, and David said, Blessed are you, Lord, God of our father Israel, in the realms of the universe. Lord, yours is, and here we're going to say greatness, number one, power, glory, victory, majesty, for all, for all in heaven and earth is yours. Lord, yours is kingship. Those are the seven. So again, greatness, which we'll learn is kindness. Power, glory, victory, majesty, uh, all in heaven, for all in heaven and earth is yours, and yours is kingship. Those are the seven levels. Um, so here you have it in the sitter. Why am I showing you all this? Just so you know, when we have these discussions, you can see the source of where it's from. I'm not giving you an explanation yet, but hopefully you have a more of an appreciation when you read these prayers and you'll understand that this is not just, you know, throwing out synonyms. God, you know, you're great, you're glorified, you're wonderful, you're amazing. Uh, this is a general rule, by the way, in prayers, whenever there's repetition, it's very purposeful. There's a lot of meaning to the, the repetition of the specific words that they use. Uh, we should never think that, oh, they just, you know, needed to throw out a couple praises over here, a couple praises over there. There was, there was a very specific intention of why they did that. But let me give a couple more examples of the seven, okay? Um, how many days uh, is in a week? Seven. The Zohar says, why seven? Because, um, because of these seven attributes. And what is the seventh one? The seventh one is kingship. And therefore on Shabbat, God's kingship uh, is more present, more shining. Um, but anyway, so it, it, it calls the seven days of the week, the seven days of building or seven days of creation. And so each day shined a little bit more of uh, God's attributes. Just to give you an example, what was created on the second day of creation? The water. The water, water, yes. The water was separated, right? Yeah. Which is an act of um, not as much kindness, more severity being brought in where God had to separate. Obviously, there's a purpose in it. Again, whenever God does something that's, quote, it's not unkind, but it's not clear kindness, right? It's more pulling back. So there you have in the second day is a representation. First day is giving. God creates heaven and earth. Second day, it says machloket, split in general. Arguments, the division was created all on the second day. That's from the, the power of givur, as we're going to discuss a little bit later. Severity, judgment, splitting. Um, and so all the seven days of creation correspond to these seven attributes of God. All of this was to say that just as God has these three plus seven, we also have in us the three plus seven. Okay, what I told you in the text before the class, today we're going to discuss the 10 powers of the soul. Just as God reveals himself to the world through the Sfirot in 10 different ways, we are created in the image of God. We also have 10 powers of our soul with which we reveal ourselves to others. Okay, 10 powers of our soul. Sometimes we're also revealing to ourselves. Uh, but regardless, it's a revelation of our soul. Our soul is kind of how do you tap into your soul, right? A soul is just like this ball of energy. 
what are the avenues with which the soul expresses itself, it's given these 10 avenues of expression. Okay. Um, okay. And just as in God, there were the there was the division. So too in us, we have the division of intellect and emotion. We have intellect, and we will discuss the three powers of the intellect, wisdom, uh, understanding, and knowledge. I think that's how they translate it. Everybody translates it differently. Uh, doesn't make a difference, as we'll learn the meaning behind them. And then, of course, there's feelings. I want to go quickly through the seven feelings. Um, the seven feelings are kindness and severity. Those are the most general um, levels of our emotions. All of our emotions kind of fall either in those two lines of kindness and severity or a fusion of those two. That's why if you ever see the, you know, the picture of the Sifirot, it kind of looks like there's two columns and then there's a middle column. The middle column is a fusion of the two side columns. Everything falls into kindness or severity and or a fusion of the two. That's why there's the three columns, kindness, severity. Now, severity, people get confused. People think severity is bad. Just to give you an example of how we describe severity. Kindness would be, let's say, water is kindness, Okay, God giving water to the world. Severity is God taking that water and splitting it into raindrops. Okay, Severity doesn't necessarily mean bad, but it means holding back. Holding back can sometimes be a good thing. So instead of just causing a delusion in the world, too much kindness is also bad, right? We we know in life, too much kindness, you give somebody too much, they, you know, they start to look for handouts, right? Holding back is sometimes better. So this is where we should never get confused. We should not equate kindness and severity with good and bad. They can both be good and they can both be bad. Yes. Love and fear. Love and fear, yes. So love and fear are the emotion of kindness and severity. It's its one and the same. Okay. Um, someone wrote here, good, discipline. Discipline is another good word for severity. Um, yes, but you can also split it into love and fear as well. But love and fear is a form of kindness and severity as we'll build it out throughout the Tanya. The Tanya obviously spends time on the emotions. Um, by the way, Going into intellect, as we'll discuss, this is the, the kind of the two basic powers of intellect. There's wisdom, meaning the flash of knowledge. That's that's like kindness. You know, you've gotten this idea, but I have to spend the time and you know sifting through it and splitting it, discipline and breaking apart. You know, making quote unquote the raindrops. You know, taking that flash of knowledge and uh, actually spending the time to make it fit into pieces. You know, you ever like you ever like have a good idea. And like, it's a lot easier just to sit with that great, awesome idea than to actually, you know, put it in the practical. That's like annoying, you know, take that great, oh, this great idea. And then you got to fit in the practical and see how it actually works. It's like, there's more, you know, it feels like less exciting, you know, that's, that's because it's kind of severity in a sense. You got to hold back and say, well, this part of the idea goes over here. That part of the idea goes over here. This will work over here. That will work over there. It's a discipline. It's not as fun. It's not as kind, like, you know, it's not as great as that flash of idea. So that's uh, wisdom and uh, so that's kindness and severity. Okay, then we have Tiferet, which is beauty. Beauty means you have a fusion of the two. So you've synthesized the two sides. An example of these two elements is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham was kind. He was the epitome of kindness. It says, therefore, out of him came two sons. One was Holy and what was not holy? Yishmael. Yishmael 
when we read about him, he wasn't as much a murderer as much as he um uh he was a big lover you know love can also be a problem too much love you know unbridled love that's where uh you know adultery and all those things come from so unbridled love you know so ishmael had a lot of love just you know not channeled necessarily in the good so the point is that abraham gave his son and gave his son and gave his son possibly lacking a discipline isaac on the other hand was a guy who held back when you read about isaac you think about a serious person well he had two sons one was a very you know, Jacob, and one was Esau. It says that Jacob himself represents the fusion of the two, of Abraham and Isaac. He was Tiferes beauty, where he could synthesize kindness and seriousness. And that's why all of his children were considered good. All of his children were righteous, because he balanced the two together. And so in our lives, that's really what we're going for generally is, is the best is to have the fusion of the two. That's that as Tiferous beauty, when you can have both together. All right, then we have something called Netzach. Netzach means victory. That means that there's an emotion we need to be victorious. When there's something we want, we need to have an emotion of, I can do this. You know, I want to be the best. I want to accomplish. I want to get it done. Um, so again, all these emotions are are, are Emotions that help you accomplish what needs to get done. Obviously, victory, that was victory. Then there is hode. Hode is, um, we had a class once on a hoda. It was a lot of fun. Um, hode is when you need a, in order to accomplish, you need to listen to others. You need to get a guide. Um, submission. Right, so if Netzach is, I'm going to win, I'm going to be the victory. Hoda is saying, wait, wait a second, for me to be victorious, for me to accomplish, I need to maybe call an expert, you know, work through my network. I need to have submission. And, um, the, you know, some people don't have it. Some people don't have that emotion. They don't have that emotion very well. But uh, it's a very useful emotion, meaning submitting yourself submission. Then we have, well, the grass people decided to come. Okay. Then we have Yasod. Hope they're not cutting my grass over here. Okay, that would be fun. Then we have Yesod. Yesod is um, connection, connection with others. Oh, I see they are here. Okay. Um, Yesod is connection with others. Um, a people's person, if you want to say, a bond. Yesod literally means foundation. That's what it literally means. Um, so yesod in this sense means a real bond with other people, not just talking with them, but a true bond with other people. And the final one is it looks like they're deciding to cut my grass now. So this is gonna be fun. Okay. We'll see, we'll see where this goes. And the final one is Malchus kingship. And kingship means actually getting stuff done. Kingship means you're actually, you know, just like a king should be running his country. Kingship means you're actually finally running the country as it should be done. All right, so those are the seven. Uh, powers of the soul. So now let's take a look. Now let's take a look at the text inside. All right, of course. Can they hear okay? What? Can they It will, yeah. We'll see. We'll see where it goes. Huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, no worries. No worries. You know where it is? No. You go straight that way, and there's a hallway over there. Okay. 
let's take a look at the beginning of chapter three. Okay. Maybe he's going to go across the street first. Okay. All right. So I think I'm giving you an introduction. In the introduction, we've discussed how your soul is godlike. Godlike meaning it's made up of 10 powers. And these 10 powers are three intellectual and seven emotional. And so now we're going to read the text inside. It's on uh, chapter three, page 55. All right, so we're going to read first of here. In chapter two, you're introduced to your divine soul, which is literally a piece of God above. Your divine soul enables you to think about God and develop feelings for him. In this chapter, we will delve more into the structure of your divine soul and learn how it processes ideas and generates feelings. Okay, so let's read. Now, each of these three facets, levels of your soul, nefesh, body intelligence, ruach, emotional intelligence, and shama, self-conscious intelligence. And, and seriously, don't get lost in the names of souls. It's a discussion for later. But again, so the point is, your soul, let's just, you know, just not get confused with three levels of your soul for now, unless you want to, but your soul, let's just summarize like that. Your soul contains 10 powers mirroring the 10 heavenly spherot divine energies from which they originate. Okay, so again, your soul contains 10 powers which correspond to the 10 divine energies which we have discussed so now let's read what he writes here in kabbalah god is described as an unknowable infinite light from which a mere glimmer reaches the rest of the universe while the infinite light defies mortal imagination kabbalah does introduce various symbols to depict how the glimmer of light is transmuted on his journey to this world the core symbolism which we find reflected at virtually every level is a system of 10 energies or potencies referred to by the Sefer Yitzirah as Sfirot. Uh, the term has no single definitive translation and applies a wide-ranging themes. And uh, I use the translation today of light. He gives other, other options. Where, you know, light, as you see there, that's one of the options over here. Okay. With soul at all of its levels and facets is ultimately a reflection of the Sfirot. In the following section, Tanya examines how different elements of the psyche are molded by the various spherot. Always interesting. People always call me when I'm giving a class. Okay. They don't call me all day. Um, so he says like this. In Sefer Yitzirah, the influence of the 10th spherot at the time of creation is split into two groups, which are the three mothers. I explained to you why mothers, because they give birth to the emotions, and the seven doubles. He's going to explain the, the doubles for you in a moment. Sefer Yitzirah discusses the mystical secret of how the world was created through the means of Hebrew letters. And it classifies the letters into various groups, right? We know God created the world through speech. God spoke in Hebrew. So the world is created through Hebrew letters. The three mothers are the letters Aleph, Mem, and Shin, the beginning, middle, and ultimate and, and final ultimate letters of the Hebrew alphabet. They encompass the entire alphabet and symbolize the ultimate root of everything in God. The last letter, Tuf, was not used as it is a double. Okay. The seven doubles are the letter Bays, Gimel, Dalad, Kaf, Pei, Resh, and Tuf. It's amazing. These letters have a double identity since they cannot, since they can be produced, pronounced soft or hard through the addition of a Duggish mark, the small dot in the middle of the letter. For example, the letter Bet with a Duggish is pronounced as a hard Bet, whereas the Vet without a Duggish is pronounced as a softer vase, right? You know, certain letters in Hebrew with a dot or without a dot make a different sound. Base or base. Base or vase. There's actually seven of them. Some of them are more pronounced than others. Uh, some of them we don't actually pronounce. It makes a difference in other parts of Hebrew grammar. It doesn't really make a difference. The point is there are seven letters in Hebrew. 
which have um, which have uh, a dot in them, can have a dot in them. For those who are interested, they go by the acronym called Beged Kefes, uh, Beit Gimel Dalid, Kuf Pei Reis and Tuf. Okay. The double identity of these letters is symbolic of the two ways God relates externally to his creation. Draw close with kindness, to be soft, or push away with judgment, to be hard. Before the world was created, this dilemma did not exist, but once there's a world, God is constantly faced with the decision to be soft or be hard. That's what we were discussing a moment ago, this, this push and pull, these two ways of interacting. So that's why emotions are called double, because they generally have these two sides of interaction. And you can split them up deeper from there, but they have these two sides of interaction. Double, therefore, represents the way God deals practically with the created world outside of him. So to speak, mothers represent the internal mind of God. This thinking with the mothers and doubles helps us understand that there are two types of spheroids. Okay. So now he's going to go into what are the first three that we discussed, the intellectual. This seems chachma. He calls it inquiry. We called it wisdom. Bina, cognition. We called, uh, we called it understanding. And let's see. Das, recognition, or we called knowledge. Either way, whichever translation you want to go with. It's not so important right now. The first three of the ten spheres correspond to the mothers of the internal mind of God. The last of the ten spheres are alluded to by the seven days of creation because God, because they are the God's tools to deal with the external world. They're the spheres of chesed, giving, gevura, restraint. That's a good word. Uh, I use severity. Tiferet, harmony, which harmonizes chesed and gevura. The remaining four spheres continue along this theme. And just as God has two spheres serving as the inner self and external world, Similarly, the human soul is divided into two, intellect serving the self and emotions relating to others. That's an important line. Your intellect mostly serves yourself. Your emotion serves and connects you with other people. Right? Your emotion is the way you connect with others. That, that's what others can see what's going on inside of you. Um, if you're very... Uh, you know, what they call an objective thinker, which doesn't really exist that much. But if you were a real objective thinker, nobody would see on you, right? They, you'd have a poker face, right? Nobody would see on you what you're, what, you're, what you're thinking. So nobody would have any inkling of what's going on inside of you. So your intellect could remain totally within you, totally objective. Emotion automatically means there's something that people can be clued into. You know, whether it's facial expression, whether it's, you know, the way you're interacting with them. Um, emotion is much harder to hide. And even when you hide emotion, emotion is really about other people, typically. You can't have emotions about yourself. Um, emotions, though, are also much more affected by other people. Intellect, not as much. Um, you know, your emotion, you know, why do people feel sad about themselves? Well, part of it is comparing themselves to others and what goes on in other people's lives. So emotion, though, is generally a more connecting experience than, than intellect. So it's something like this, right? You know, you ever met people who are, you know, great, knowledgeable people, smart people, but you don't feel, you know, connected because, you know, they've got, they've got the wisdom, but their emotions are kind of standoffish. They're, they're, they're not very emotional people, possibly. They're just, they live in the brain world. They're not, so, you, you know, you you you'd love to hear their class you'd love to hear their wisdom but you're never really going to be friends you know um so he says like this 
the human intellect, like divine, contains chachma, inquiry, bina, cognition, das, recognition, the emotions which are love of God, trepidation, reverence of him, venerating him, etc. You only want something after you understand why it is good. You only fear something after you understand it is why it's a danger, right? That's why kids are not afraid of fire. They don't appreciate that it's scary. So the Tanya now explains the relationship between intellect and emotion is somewhat like a mother that gives birth to a child. And this is really one of the most foundational and important parts of Tanya that we're discussing here, that intellect gives birth to emotions. Because as we learn, emotions are then will help you in your actions. It's really a chain reaction. Your intellect gives birth to your emotions. So let's read it here. These are your intellectual levels. Called mothers, the source of emotions, because emotions are the children of intellect. By the way, you see this today. You know, people talk about, you know, positive affirmations and you know, changing the way you think. Right? They've realized that the way to change the way people act is by changing the way they think. It's. I think it's more than thinking. I think it's changing the emotions. Well, you can think one thing, but well, that when you right understand. when you change the way you think, change the way you feel, which changes the way you act. Yeah, yep. So it says like here, most of Tanya's advice builds on this principle. So this is a really important line. If you think about God, you will come to feel and experience God. People want to know why don't they feel God? <laughs> ask them. When's the last time you thought about God? <laughs> I don't feel God. Well, how much are you? How much are you uh, thinking about him? Right. Uh, well, I thought about him when I I needed some money. I'm like, okay, you're not thinking about God. You think about yourself and how God can give it to you, <laughs> right? It's like kids when they call up their parents for uh for some money for college. They're not thinking about their parents. Think about the money and the ATM machine, which is known as their parents, right? Um. You know, they, they, you know, back in the days when they used to be collect calls. Yeah. Right. So you you call up and you and you you know you'd you'd say say your name right to, to see if the other person wants to accept. So they you know they said a joke. You know, the college kid would call up their mother, father in college, and they call and collect, and they call the parents and say, "What's your name?" Shik Gelt. Shik Gelt means send money in Yiddish. <laughs> and then of course the parents would say, "No, you know, <laughs> not accepting the call." Anyways, um, all right. If you think about God, you will come to feel and experience God. This is why the meditative process to which we will be introduced in this chapter is so important. Meditation is so important. Meditation means concentrated time of thinking about God, right? Because when I tell you, think about God, like, okay, think about what about God? What do I know about God? Well, you get a study about God so you can think about him and meditate on him. It's hard to meditate about something you don't know about, right? If I were to ask you, meditate on the textile factory in India. You don't know anything about it. You're going to meditate on it. In a letter written in 1805, defending the teachings of the Tanya to one of his critics, Rabbi Schneir Zalman revealed that this emphasis on meditative work was not his innovation. In order for there to be reverence of God, there must be deep contemplation and meditation as stated in Lakoti Amarm. This is a quote from his letter. Everyone in the regions of Volohan just, I think where he was. And the Ukraine, page 58, who has ever had a whiff of the teachings of the Baal Shem Tov and his disciples knows the explanation of the Holy Zohar's teachings. 
that Bina, understanding, is the mother of the children. Psalms, Zohar, Pardes, Yomonim. The children are love and reverence of God. And they are born through meditation and deep, deep contemplation on the greatness of God. want to read that line again. They are born through meditation and deep contemplation on the greatness of God. Each person according to his ability. Just as it is impossible to give birth to a child without a mother, so too it is impossible to revere God without meditative work. So when people are complaining, they want to love God, they want to fear God more, they want to have more feelings towards God. Um, you need to have moments of thought. Without the thought, um, you will not have the ability to um, contemplate and emote whatever it is that you want. Think about, um, well, you might say, look, let's say, right, parents love their child naturally, right? Even a parent that loves their child naturally, unless they actually take a moment and think about their child, um, the emotion of love will be hidden, right? So again, even a parent which loves their children so much, yeah. the feeling of emotion is not there unless you take at least a moment to think about the child. Now that's even a love that's like easy, okay? Now... Imagine children and parents are more estranged, how much harder that is, although that can happen as well. Um, we will actually get to later in the Tanya, we also have a hidden love within ourselves of God. So it'll discuss there's actually two paths of awakening within ourselves of love of God. One is, of course, trying to find the hidden love. One is creating a new love. Finding the hidden love is easier. Creating a new love might be deeper. Discussion for later in the Tanya, but just give you an example, right? Just as even a parent has to, to find their hidden love, it's hidden just because it's not active, right? You need to do something to, to activate it. And sometimes it's more active than others, right? When you, when you you know, let's say you spe spend, you know, you always love your children. Well, maybe you're spending time looking at photos of your children, you know? Um, that'll, there he goes. All right, he finally came back. That'll create more moments of emotional connection, right? Similarly with God, it's not any different. That's uh, that would be hard to uh, meditate with that in the background. All right, someone writes here. I see the Sefirot as ten channels through which God reveals His will to us. That's correct. Um, well, God reveals Himself in any different way. All right, we're we're getting uh, going to be hard to hear. Sorry, but we are. We're nearing the end of the class. He's just editing, so maybe it'll be done in a moment. Um, I want to say like this. I want to add a thought over here. If you can still hear me. I, we've discussed this in our classes on prayer. Give me a moment. Give me a moment. We can hear you, Rabbi. Yeah, you can hear, right? Okay. Yeah, loud and clear. Oh, now I know you're doing a good job. 
Um, in my classes on prayer, we've had this question. Why are prayers so long? Why are the prayers so long? You know, does God need all the praise? Like, does he really need our praise? Like, no, is he that? He does, he have that does he have that low self-esteem that he needs us to praise him? And my answer in those classes, and if you've been them, you, you remember, but it's always good to refresh yourself because it ties into what we're talking about today, is the praises are not for him, they're for us. We have to, in fact, if you look clearly in the prayers, most of the prayer is actually not talking to God, it's talking about God. Only a small portion of the prayer service is talking directly to God. Most of it is talking about God. Okay? For example, the prayer we were reading earlier, and King David blessed God and said, Lord, you are great, you are mighty, you are awesome. That's not me talking to God. I'm reading what King David's praises he's saying about God. Right? Um, so most of the prayers are there to get us to feel that emotional closeness to God. And that's why it's so long, because for us, it's not natural. We don't see God. It's hard to feel those feelings towards God. And so the sages created this very long prayer service. And I mentioned this multiple times as well, but I'll repeat it again. And that's why it says prayer services actually in the early days were shorter. And over the years, it's gotten longer and longer. And I don't mean how long we're praying. I mean, the actual prayers that are in the prayer book. Because as generations have gone on, we need more time to awaken within ourselves a love towards God. We need more time to meditate, to connect to God. The previous generations were more, were more spiritually connected. They could have a shorter prayer service and accomplish more. Because their connection to God, they could get to it that much quicker. Today, we're you know bombarded with all different things that prevent us and stop us and, and make it much more difficult to connect to God. And therefore, we need uh, these longer prayers more than ever. And so next time when you look at that prayer book, you're like, oh my gosh, it's so long. Let me rip it off. You know, Well, that's not the point. The point of longer prayers is to spend a little bit longer time thinking about God. And to awaken your emotions towards God, and that should carry you throughout the day. So, I think we're at, we're at a good stopping point, anyways. Huh? He's moving quick. Yeah, yeah. But this is really where I wanted to end off at this point because next week we're going to delve deeply into that next part, which is um, really explaining the workings of the intellect. You know, I've only given you the idea, right? I told you there's intellect, intellect leads to emotion. Next week, we're going to actually um wait, where did I stop off? Did I did I read the end of section two? Yeah, we stopped off uh, right. We went to section two. Yeah, so next week we're gonna start it from section two and really describe how wisdom leads to uh understanding which leads to knowledge we're not going to discuss we're going to discuss next week we're going to start off discussing um wisdom and knowledge how they work and that will help us get to the next part which be which will be about what does meditation about god actually look like okay words are nice we're gonna have to sorry the kindness right kindness is easy to throw out right saying big words easy to throw out just meditate about god it's easy right next we're gonna have to delve deeply and see how everything fits and how everything works and so that's going to be for next week but um, thank you all for coming this week. And hopefully you thank walk you, away with yes, main thing. Thank you, thank you. Hopefully you walk thank away with main lesson. So thank you, thank you. Main lesson today so is walk away with the knowledge that if you want to feel love for God, you got to think about him.
Right. Yes. And I'm looking for the I'm looking for the I'm looking forward to the manual next week about how to meditate with Hashem. The manual is very long. We're just gonna get to one part of it. <laughs> thank you, Rabbi. Thank you, thank you. It's a lifelong work. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Let me uh, stop the recording. Anybody has any questions? Good. If not.